Welcome to Declare Your Independence. It's uh, Wednesday, Cinco de Mayo, the 5th of May, 2021, at least where I'm at. I don't know what the hell date it is where James is. It's Thursday the 6th. Come on. Get with the right, time. Thursday man. the 6th. Well, we're we're still drinking Coronas and getting Corona or whatever. The um, Donna and I are in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Her father died Friday, and it was not unexpected, but kind of sudden. So the love bus is on the way, all the family here, and a bunch of Arizona people, and eh, not so masked up. So that's been interesting. <laughs> Pennsylvania is one of those. But everything's going to change at the end of the month, right? The May 31st, it's okay, you know, unless they get the 70% vaccination, then you, you can get out of detention early or something. It is just craziness. We can go on and on about that. But what I wanted to start off with, with James Corbett, jamescorbettreport.com. And what I wanted to talk about is this week he had a couple of shows up that he, you know, pulled out of the archives and thought, you know, important to bring them up now. As we, we're always checking James, whatever new shows that we have, we put them up on Freedom's Phoenix. And if it's an old show and he thought it was important, it goes up too. And I can see why. Who is uh, uh, Carol Quigley? You know, so I'm going, why did you pick that one, James? <laughs> the best part is that you attribute this to some sort of scheme I have for some sort of information dissemination schedule or something. Here's the truth. Uh, this extra, which is when I take an old podcast and I give it over to Brock and he puts the images on to make it into a video. Um, we do this uh, all the time. Um, but so this one, we started about six months ago or something like that. And it's just been on the back burner as we're working oh, so on other things. audio that didn't have a video to it. Exactly right. So this okay, is your okay. 13-year-old podcast. Um, but it's still as relevant today as it was 13 years ago, right? right? I mean, this is pretty timeless information. Well, I said so it. We've had in the works for the past six months. And Brock has been working on it in between other projects and things. And... Literally last week, uh, I didn't have another podcast to, to put out. So I thought, well, I'll put that one out because we have it on the back burner, right? Okay. So I said, Brock, get it ready. And it's funny because I, I did that on a Wednesday or Thursday. I decided, okay, I'm going to release that this week. Like 24 hours later, someone on my website left a comment, something about Carol Quigley and questioning about that. And and then I posted this this uh, podcast up. So that person thinks it is because they left a comment about Carol mm -hmm. Quigley is the reason I suddenly posted this podcast. No, it's been in the work for six months. Um, but no, there's no special reason why I picked now to bring this up, other than the fact that it is still absolutely very important information. And I have to keep in mind that I have gained a large number of new followers over the past year. So I do take it for granted often. You know, everyone knows Carol Quigley. I've talked about it all, you know, dozens of times. Everyone knows that story. But then I post something like this and I get comments from people. Hey, thanks for posting this. I hadn't seen this in your archives. And this it was is really important information. It was yeah. timely as hell. So I mean, you know, uh, tell the people, you know, uh, who Carol Quig, because a lot of people don't know. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. Go ahead and tell them who Carol Quigley was and how it's relevant now. I mean, it was timely to bring this up. You go, you know, who is Bill Gates? And you do your World War I conspiracy. And you got, uh, you know, a lot of the other stuff. Who is, you know, how big oil conquered the world? Why? Quigley was out in these guys after a lot of this stuff happened. He was, he was like, you know, they're, they're proud of it too. You know, so it was. Yeah, I mean, yeah. 
a lot of the interviews as they were asking him stuff, he'd be like, well, we can't get too deep in the, yeah. <laughs> I want to know all the rest of that, yeah. story, you know, but well, uh, be careful how you frame this Ernie, because every single time I ever talk about Carol Quigley, there are people saying, why are you praising Carol Quigley as if he's some kind of whistleblower, James? He's not a whistleblower. He was part of them. And he was like, yeah, okay. Yes. He was an establishment professor. Absolutely. And he said on the record, he said, I have no problem. I have no quibble with their aims or goals or what they're trying to do. I think that's all fine and dandy. My only problem is they're trying to keep it secret. And I think it should be public. That And yes, absolutely. And I wish people would get over this, whether this is some sort of veneration of Carol Quigley as an insider whistleblower, woo, or whether this is just information that's coming out. It doesn't matter. The point is the information itself is important. And it's it's one of those, uh, what do you call it in a courtroom? It's uh, um, uh, admission against interest or whatever that is, where uh, this this is uh, from a source that we should be giving even more attention because it is the very type of source that would not normally be the one to expose this, right? I mean, if you had some sort of outsider who was writing about this, you could go, oh, well, that's just that crazy, you know, G. Edward Griffin, of course, he's a conspiracy nutter or whatever. But no, this is a guy who's on board and in bed and on the team and saying, yes, this is great stuff, uh, but why are we keeping it secret? Let's make it open, guys. And then so he tries to make it open. And for some reason, the publisher does a limited run. And then despite the fact they were supposed to give him the uh, the, uh, the printing plates back and everything after after the run, they didn't. They destroyed them. And he, he was... He was expressing a bit of bewilderment at this and whatever. Anyway, read into the psychology of that, whatever you want. I don't care. The point is the information that he exposed and documented, which to a certain extent was already out there if you knew how to read, for example, the last will and testament of Cecil B. Rhodes by William T. Stead and all that. I mean, a lot of this was already out there in various forms and you could connect pieces, but this is the inside version of that story, or at least as much of that inside story as he was willing and able to put on the record. As you say, if you listen to the interviews with him, he's constantly like, well, maybe we shouldn't. Well, can you turn the recording off? Let's not get into that right well, you know, the one thing that I, I found of interest, you know, I understood, you know, from oh, hearing about before or listening to your stuff before, or, I don't know, just over, you're old enough and you learn about, uh, about Quigley, what his real aim was, is that he was tooting the trumpet. He was proud of it. They were, he, you know, they gave him access to a lot of this information. So he's like, look what we're doing, you know, and no, 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 no. And then they started to deny it. You know, later they go, whoa, 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 we got to get a little bit more secret about it because something happened. What happened to where they kind of needed to back off? Was somebody, they, it didn't go over as well as they thought it would or something? What happened? I, I don't know. I can only speculate. And all that we know on the record is that he was given access to some of their um, secret archives, as it were, um, for a couple of years and I don't think he ever intimated exactly who particularly gave him that access or under what terms, but I'm going to assume that they were not necessarily expecting that he was going to write it all in a major work of history that was going to be widely available to the public. Or I, I think there might have been some terms and conditions that applied to his access to that material that maybe he didn't read between the lines or whatever. But again, that's all speculative. All we know is what's on the record. And we know that he put this information out there and it was quite obviously brushed to the side and let's not talk about that ever again. Um, so that's at least well, one good reason why people should at least be examining what was written. There. Well, this brings up uh, 
Now, Richard Grove was all about, he, he always goes about artifacts, you know, his whole thing is to get the actual book. And he had to get earlier version. I mean, he's tracking it down to get to where it hadn't been uh, scrubbed. You know, there was a book. Right. Yeah. And then that's an important point because a couple of people have pointed out in my video of this podcast. So again, the podcast is from 2008. And at that time I was using an online copy of Tragedy and Hope, which is not the full version. It uh, has, for example, in some of the passages I was reading, it has the square brackets and the dot, dot, dots. And I was reading it as it was on the screen there for me in 2008, the best version that I could find online at that time. So fast forward to 2021, and I have the actual physical copy. I have other, the, you can go to the archive.org copy, for example, and you can read some of the passages I was reading and those square brackets and dot, dot, dots are filled in with the actual text of what Carol Quigley was actually writing. So and it is slightly different out? and the wording is different. So I put the text as, it, as I can find it now from my hard copy or from the archive.org copy on screen. Whereas me in 2008, I'm reading this square brackets ellipsis version. And so people are saying, well, why are you reading a different version than the one you're showing on screen? Well, because these are two separate things from two separate time frames that I'm looking at. And it does go to the point that as, as you say, there were different versions of Tragedy and Hope that were published over the years, some of them official, some of them unofficial. And so some of the, the original text of what he actually wrote is, there is a question mark. Is this the actual text or was this one of those sort of unofficial publications that were done afterwards with the square brackets and stuff or not always square brackets. Maybe they were just inserting their own text. Yeah, so there is some questions about the actual authenticity of the actual copy of the text. You know, you did also, you did um, uh, this week, I didn't see it on your site now, but it was when I was looking before was interview you did with, uh, I, hadn't, I didn't get to watch it, but I saw it up there. I was on Joe Plummer's, you know, Tragedy and Hope 101. I've had him on the show. We've talked about it and so on. And it's, you know, it, somebody took the time to read it and kind of give me the cliff note version down to, you know, a couple hundred pages or something. I mean, thank you, you know. But um, um, did you read his book? Do you think it was a fair summary? Yeah, yeah, I did read it. And it's absolutely, it goes through some of the important passages and fills in some of the details, puts the context in there. For anyone who doesn't want to plow through the 1300 page version of the, the book, or even people who do, but actually need the context of it, I would absolutely recommend Plummer's book. And the best part is Joe Plummer's book is available for free if you want it, it's up on his website for free reading, or you can purchase a copy and you know help him out. What do we get out of this? You know, I mean, if I had to sum it up for, you know, y'all, it's just, there is a, they them those, secret handshake club society of we're gonna, you know, unify the universe and they're gonna be in charge kind of thing. And the main thing was, is well, they talk about, you know, Cecil Rhodes a lot. And Rhodes, um, in his, I don't like, fifth and final whatever will, his main thing was we need to bring back uh, the consolidation of white America and British crown of we rule the planet kind of thing. And um, it's referenced a lot that it was his, uh, there were previous wills. Did this fifth one or whatever uh, uh, cancel the previous ones or it was just an add-on or what? There were seven wills. And wow. yes, um, the idea was it was evolving. These wills were written sequentially as he was getting older, but not old. He died young. I can't remember how old, but in his 40s, I think. So he did not die an old man, but he had already done seven different wills. And each one had a different um, executor named and all of that sort of thing. And then you get people who just mindlessly parrot, cut, cut and paste text from somewhere they read on the net that 
Lord Nathan Rothschild was the sole executor of his will. Question mark, asterisk, which will? He did have seven and they all had different executors and things. Anyway, it always gets more complicated the more you look into it. But yes, in one of his wills, it did start to talk about the uh, the implementation of the secret society and all of that. So you can go, again, you can go read this. This is open information. William T. Stead wrote the last will and testament of Cecil B. Rhodes. And he- Which one there for His last one, the Rhodes Scholarship. The bottom line was, is he wanted to use a fortune to, um, and you can say how rich he was and he did in Africa, whatever, he did a bunch of money. And the point was, is that the British should rule. The, the, the sun shall never set on the British empire for in perpetuity or something. And the reason for that was what? Right, that was, well, that was the point that Cecil B. Rhodes was all about. But as if you read, for example, The Anglo-American Establishment, which is a much shorter book, but um, I, it talks about some of the same stuff, you, you certainly start to understand that, yeah, that was the original thing that Rhodes envisioned. But after his death, and as the sort of center of power of this amorphous secret society group started to shift, for example, Lord Milner kind of took it over at a certain point, it, it, it wasn't so much about Rhodes' vision at all anymore. It was more about setting up a global empire and oh, maybe it's going to be based in America, but with Anglo participation or blah, blah, blah. And I think that's continued to evolve. Um, so after World War II, because Anglo-American establishment tragedy and hope basically ends at World War II-ish um, timeframe. So what happened after that point? And obviously some of these some of these structures that he's writing about still exist. They're still the uh, Chatham House and CFR and things. But I think the point isn't to dwell specifically on Cecil B. Rhodes and his particular vision. The point is to understand, as G. Edward Griffin goes through in the clip that I played, and I've played, I've referred people to a number of times recently, the Quigley formula, which is really the Rhodes formula, which is the idea of creating a secret society that is structured in a way that only the very, very core even knows that it exists but they have larger and larger institutions around them that they can essentially direct and control without those larger institutions even knowing that there is that core in the center. And that to me is important because it, it shows how a conspiracy can function. How does it actually function? What does it actually look like? How does it work? How do a few people control the actions of thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people in in any way that's not some and sort of comic book sort of thing. They create these structures around them, these rings within rings, and uh, are able to direct it from the center in that way. That is, I think, the core principle that we have to understand. And then, obviously, if you're interested in the history, what actually happened in the late 19th, early 20th century, this fills in some of those details. You know, we just had Geoward on a few days ago and uh, to promote his Red Pill Expo that's going on in um, uh, Cedar Rapids, I think, uh, in, in South Dakota. Okay. Yeah. Which I'll be giving a presentation at, by the way. Yeah. I asked him about that. You know, you, I go, is he coming? Is he going, uh, you're doing a video thing or whatever, you know, and I'm like, eh, I don't count. but you know, it's, uh, I'm sure it'll be awesome. And we're going to be there. You know, we have, uh, you know, our friends and so on. And whenever they have the red pill, we always interview G Edward and we probably interview, you know, something like we had Dr. Shiva on today and so, or yesterday and, um, um, but a lot of times I'll go and I'll wait before I interview a lot of the guys because you don't want to take all their steam out, you know, before, but, you know, you, you interview them afterwards and the people that I really like. And I've made a lot of really good friends and interviews of people that have spoken at these red pills. 
and GM were started them in Phoenix. You know, we heavily promoted, you know, the first point, well, it was, um, it was a global warming thing or what in the world are they spraying or, you know, it was environmental, whatever the heck, uh, uh, resistance years ago. And G. Edward is really, he, he's more anarchist than people realize. If you spend a lot of time with him and you talk to him, you're having breakfast or dinner, you know, he, 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 the best he'll give government is a protectorate. And it's supposed to be a protectorate of your rights. It's like the Declaration of Independence. Purpose of government, defense of individual rights. Well, um, he has Freedom Forum International, which it has some friends on there. I've been invited and so on. I'm just like, no, you know, I, I, what can I do to help? Got Red Pill University and people getting up to speed. And the the end of this, the, the goal is to not fight City Hall, but be City Hall. So he's really into the, he knows how corrupt it is but to run for office, you know, it has to be, you have to take over the government or, or shoot them. I mean, I guess, I, I don't know what your options, are, you know, so uh, trying to go the peaceful yeah. route and participate but, in politics. Yeah. But I, I think, I think we're, we're starting to convince him <laughs> because as you say, people who have watched his career arc over, what is it like 60 years now, more than 60 years he's been talking about this kind of conspiracy stuff before i was born before when my parents were still you know children he was already talking about this stuff and he had uh the capitalist conspiracy and things like that um he was that he was right talking on, about man. and it was awesome yeah he was absolutely right on but he was looking at it obviously in the 1950s and 60s he was looking at it in the you know anti-communist framework right so it was that sort of bubble but as he has gone on over the decades and you see his work kind of expand and his understanding, for example, of the Quigley formula starting to add pieces to this puzzle, he's constantly sort of adding to the work that he's done. So people will look back to things that he did in the 1960s and be like, well, pff, you know, that's not the way I work. Well, yeah, he was doing this 60 years ago when the amount of information at people's uh, uh, fingertips was a lot smaller. So he has changed over the years. And in the last decade in particular, I think he has become, as you say, more and more leaning towards volunteerism and yeah, understanding can, that government can, is not going to be the solution. I don't know if he's know, all he's the way there yet. Do it, he's you know, there. when Don and I go back to Arizona, uh, I mean, what I got to do, just start, you know, filling magazines. I mean, you know, what do you got to do? I mean, and there's a lot of bad stuff going on. We had Liz Harris on from um, uh, doing the recount in Maricopa County. And I had like an hour and a half conversation with her over the weekend. You know, a lot of people like, you know, it's time for you to talk to Ernie. So we got in touch with each other and then she came on the show, but she was like, oh yeah, we got this and doing the recount and they're going, I go, no, they're not. No, yeah, no, we got the order. I go, no, they're not. You know, I go, watch, you know, cause I already knew, I go, you, you don't know who you're dealing with. You don't understand how this really, that's why they wanted you to talk to me because you don't really understand what's going on. He goes, well, I almost won. It was, I was only 0.8% behind, I go, how I say you won. You know what I'm going, oh, you guys are killing me. So <laughs> we have to go through this. But my thing is, is that when we get back, my focus is, you know, just general public opinion. The other stuff takes care of itself eventually, you know, and it'll manifest itself in whatever form, politics, not politics, uh, force, uh, aversion, you know, ignoring whatever. Government hates being ignored. That's one thing. But the, um, uh, so we're going to, we're living in Arizona for the rest of our life. And I got 12 grandkids and four kids. A lot of them are here now. And I'm just like, 
this is not going, I'm not going to go quietly into that good night, but I'm not going to count vote totals. You know, no. my, my uh, yeah. is, they're going, well, who'd you vote for? Are you going to vote? Well, I don't vote. Well, you're a big political when you run for I go, oh yeah, I run all the time, but I don't vote. I know better than that. And they're like, well, I go, really? Do you want to hear the whole story? No, make it stop. Don't, no, I really do. So you separate the crowd. <laughs> Ernie and whoever wants to know goes over there. So, um, but it, with what's happened over the last year, doesn't take that much convincing anymore. They're seeing it happen. You start filling in a couple of blanks and they're going, oh, and what do I do? I have selected James freaking Corbett videos that answer a bunch of a lot of whatever and freaking you need this one, you need this one, which is why we save this stuff. And that's one thing, Dr. Mercola, they started, he comes out and said, I don't know if it's a marketing you know, gimmick or what, but he goes, I'm being forced to take down uh, COVID-19 videos, zinc, vitamin D, and you know some other you know cure the plague on the planet kind of stuff that he's taken and permanently deleting off of his site. And I'm like, what are you about? You know, so of course, amps up the guys. We have all of the data, you know, scraped off in the IPFS. They're setting up, you know, format and make it all pretty because this had a bunch of subdomains and made it complicated. It's pain in the ass. So, and oh, did you get the email from, you know, for working on your site? Yeah. So, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. helping streamline, getting everybody all kind of where this is easier for Web 3.0. Kiss my butt. Well, Mercola, the first thing, some people that come to us and they said, well, did you work with them? Did you ask permission? I go, no, we didn't. Well, you know, they might, they might what? I don't give a crap. You know, we've saved this data, you know? So this is something that's in, important to the planet. And this is what makes the bad guys successful at what they're doing. They scare you into submission. I don't know why he's doing it. I don't care. So we're just saving the data and making it available. So nan and nan and nan and nan, in my opinion. Yep. But yep, yep, yep. see that material, especially like James stuff. You know, um, it, my mother-in-law. She now we have books of Dr. Judy's uh, books on the bus. So you know, she finally she wants to read them. Boom, giving them to her. Then it's going to go into the retirement community that she's at. We got some extra books and there's you know other stuff. And she's ready for me. Uh, you know who is Bill Gates? And I go, you you sure mm -hmm. to do yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. I know if you want, you want to do that? Okay, here we go. And I texted it to her and I had to use the bit shoot link and so on, you know, make sure that, you know, you get it. And um, this is in the end game of this. It's just what I keep saying, general public opinion. When we are at the uh, viewing, the family viewing for my father-in-law today at the funeral home, and uh, uh, some of my kids are adamant, they're not wearing a mask. And they read Pennsylvania law. And the law is, is that you have to abide by if they got, you know, a condition and you can't ask this, that, and everything. So they didn't, you know, follow the law explicitly. But one of my daughters, you know, has an actual card from her doctor of, you know, it's a long story, but she don't wear a mask. And they're like, damn it, I hate when, you know, these freaking Arizonans come in and they like know the law and crap, you know? So it's just, it's, it, but what happens, it sets a standard and an example for everybody else. They're like, well, hey, what the, what that 
They think everybody is willingly compliant with this thing and they're not. I had to go to the mall today. I'm the only one, I had to get a shirt for tomorrow. I'm the only one that doesn't have a mask. I go in the men's warehouse, pick a couple of shirts, couple of ties, go in there, do, didn't say a word, get it, walk out. And the only people in the mall that weren't wearing a mask were the, um, it looked like they were, I don't know, the, the Afghanis in the kiosk in the middle of the thing selling sunglasses or something. I mean, you know, you know, bales are for women. <laughs> so it's just been, you got to be a leader. You know, just, just, just be an example. You're not going to be a jerk about they told me to leave yeah. or just left. You know, or I had to wear a mouth. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take my money with me. That is gone, and it used to be expected in America. And I'm wondering what you think happened. You know, is it still there? Is it going to resurrect? Were we scared? Is it social media? What do you think happened to America? Well, look, I don't know about the American cultural situation, but here's what I want to underline in, in what you're saying right now. It is exceptionally important that people be a leader when and if and as they can on those issues that they can to be and exemplify that behavior that they feel is the, the true normal, not the new normal or the old normal, but true normal humanity. You have to exemplify that in order to spread it to others, but also... I, 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 for for many years, obviously, I've gotten the feedback, oh, James, you're just talk, talk, talk. Well, when are you going to do something as if I'm going to pick up an M16 and go shoot someone in the head or something and solve the world's problems? <laughs> <laughs> but um, but no, realistically, I, I've, I've thought about that for many years, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah it is just talk. But uh, no, I, I now understand on a deeper level than I ever did before that the most important thing I can possibly be doing is spreading this information. That is the baseline for absolutely everything else that will ever be accomplished is the spreading of the information and the data, but perhaps even more importantly, the worldview and the philosophy. What is behind this? Why do I care about human freedom? And what does that mean? And how do we manifest that? Thinking about that, talking about that, modeling that is the most important thing I can be doing. I'm not saying everyone out there should be starting a podcast or whatever. That's probably, you know, some people will, some people won't, whatever. But for me personally, my gifts, my abilities, I cannot think of anything that I could be doing more effective than turning people's minds on to this information, this worldview. And uh, I, uh, people dismiss that and poo-poo it to their own oh, detriment. No, 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 no. This is the foundation that we build all the solutions on is General an understanding opinion. of why we are doing it. Well, the big thing, that's why I'm so motivated to you know, save your work. You know, and that of a lot of people. We've been platforming a lot of sites on IPFS. They can't take them down now. We just did uh, Lou Rockwell, Dr. Mercola, yourself, uh, a bunch of others. I, I don't want to try and list them off. But then, um, of course, ourselves. But this is there, there's some stories before we go. I wanted to just, you know, hit some of these and get your opinion on some things because just craziness afoot. I mean, everywhere. You know, it's just wow. Well, one of them, uh, this new 6G chip could download Netflix film in less than a blink of an eye. Well, hell, you know, give me 40 G, whatever. Let's just get her done. I mean, is there any sacrifice we're not willing to make to get fast internet? <laughs> 
Yeah, no. And uh, people will have seen, I've played the clip a couple of times now when Trump was doing his big 5G push and he had the announcement when he had the, uh, you know, the telecom workers standing behind him and he was saying, you know, America's leading the way on 5G and we're the greatest and we're blah, blah, blah. And we're empowering our companies to lay out the 5G grid ahead of China and all that kind of stuff that he was saying at the time. And he did slip in a comment there, something about, and we'll probably lead in 6G as well. And people in the crowd kind of laughed at that as if it was a joke, but I don't think people know. No, the 6G is already, I mean, they're already working on the specs and, and testing it in the labs. I mean, as we often say, the tech is 20 years ahead of whatever you're seeing commercially right now. So you better believe, yeah, 6G is already on the way after they get the public condition to 5G and they spend a decade rolling out all the systems for that. Then 6G will be next and they're working yeah, on it already. As a, a journalist, you know, going to the consumer electronics show they used to have before COVID, you know, I think they're going to try and open up this year again, next year, but um, it's in Las Vegas. And it's all the tech, and you'll see it there about three years before you see, you know, the commercial version of it. And um, and you really want to get it advanced. You go into the basement of the Venetian where you got the 10 by 10 guys, you know, 10 by 10 foot little square guys in their new university if I got a new widget or something, you know, and that's their marketing to the guys that come to then go on the next floor that then becomes consumer electronics. And I get a, a pretty much a head start on a lot of things by that. And if you did some technical manuals or science magazines, or you just think, you know, what do they want to do? Well, here it comes, you know, they're, they're doing it. And I'm the one thing that you can always count on is that there is a, 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 an effort to get a government contract and you can feel that they're going, well, you could, well, we could be the more controlling, super duper mind screwing, whatever, pick us, you know? And of course they do. And, and so I, I see, I lost interest in it because a lot of the consumer electronics, it was all more surveillance. It was surveillance, yep. sur surveillance, tracking data. Yep. 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 You know, I mean, it's just, it got so, I don't even care anymore. It, it, nothing that if you- only if only some president could have warned us about this on his way out the door 50 or 60 years right. ago. Oh, wait, right. I think Eisenhower did say something about that, didn't he? You know, the thing was, is that it was, um, when he was talking, they're talking about the military industrial complex. If you read that speech carefully, I was always of the opinion it wasn't about that. That was a side effect. You know, he's going, yeah. the, it was the scientific technological elite. That's yes. what he's worried about. Exactly. You know what's going to happen. You know, all yep. this garage, uh, blackboard, uh, you know, individual ingenuity crap is going to go out the window. And here comes the man with this government funded, we're going to rule you stuff. And he warned us of this. And this is what we're seeing. So if you, if you actually read the speech or you watch it, you can see him kind of going like this. They're going to shoot. Mm -hmm. He said it, you know, it's kind of, it was kind of, yeah. freak, you know, way that happened. Yeah. No, I, I pointed that out. I did a, a podcast a few years ago on the information industrial complex, and I pointed that out and pointed out those sections of the speech that no one ever talks about. But yeah, the scientific uh, class will be a ruling class, and it will be funded by the government, and it will skew scientific research. Speaking you of know, which... Uh, I want to bring up uh, Cody Wilson popped up out of his gopher hole. And uh, yeah, yeah uh, sorry, do you know anything about his legal things going on right now? All that I know is, is that uh, we used to be pretty close and 
I, I, I think he's like, yeah, you talk to Ernie, it makes it on the radio. So, you know, you kind of, you know, we'll hold off for a little while. But I think we'll be going through Austin. I'll, I'll go camp out in front of his house or something. But, you know, say yo to him. But um, what happened was um, uh, in his case, there was kind of an agreement of shut the heck up. You know, I think that's what this whole thing was about from the beginning anyway, you know. And what he was doing, he did intimate to me that he was working on the super project or the super of First Amendment kind of whatever. And uh, I think we got a hint of it here in the speech. And it's called post-political. And the main thing that he's saying is that it's not about voting anymore. We're past that. You know, they're, they're, they're coming. And he goes, uh, defense distributed He's kind of done uh, what we've been doing with IPFS. He's created a platform that these different gun files and stuff to save us, you know, can post there without being deleted or they can't. You know, that was the impression that I got, that he was like, you're not going to stop the signal. You know, this is so that was kind of he was encouraging people to make use of the platform to be able to have the new plasma super Marvin the Martian weapon of whatever the hell, you know and just doinking the man. So I, I don't know what's going on. I, hopefully I'll find out. But uh, I just wanted to bring it to everybody's attention to watch it. It's called uh, On Defense Distributed. I think it's still on YouTube. Um, it's uh, post-political uh, speech. And it was only about 27 minutes, but you kind of get an inkling of here it comes. You know, and Cody's definitely wanting to piss him off because that's what he does. You got any comment on that? I haven't seen it yet, so I, ha I don't have any comment, but I'm just wondering, I'm sure Defense Distributed is not just on YouTube at this point, right? <laughs> I would certainly- No, 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 no. I was surprised that it was even on YouTube. I mean, you know, yeah. you know, a week in the making, but it didn't have anything posted for like a year. So, you know, it was like, you know, and eh, it's it up on you, you know? So it was like, you know, the, he, he held off for this. You see my point? It was yep. you know, the beginning of something. So I just wanted to bring that to everybody's attention. Cody never went away. I knew that. He, he, you just pissed him off. That was just a bad idea. So, you know, here we go. We'll see what happens. Uh, George Bush and Mark Zuckerberg. Um, I don't know. I, need I say more? <laughs> yeah, we're done. That's, uh, that's all we need to say. Uh, the fourth turning. <clears throat> Comment on this. There's a, uh, I guess it was a book. And it was called the fourth. Am I right? It's the same guys that did Generation X, I think it was. Um, was it? I, I uh, <laughs> off the top of my head, I want to say it was Strauss and Howe, but I haven't read the book, so I can't yeah, tell I you. I think they did. Well, I read it by doing an audible. You know, I guess you can say you read it when you listen to the audible. But uh, it was really pushed by um, a guest I had on the show that you know I respect a lot, and he said, "Ernie, you got you got to read this book." So I had, on, I had a trip or something, and I listened to it. And basically, it goes like this. You have 80-year cycle, 20 years of this, 20 years of that, 20, 20. And it's a different, you know, and then there's the first, second, and fourth turning. By the time what they were predicting is the fourth turning coming now, which is you get, you know, kind of, that's why they call it revolution. You know, it's a wheel. And it used to be, you know, you have um, uh, revolution, then you get liberty, then you get complacency and then you get apathy and then you get totalitarianism and then you get revolution again you know something like that you know it's kind of a, a cycle well what the point that they were making the fourth turning we're in and it's when you get you know uh, a few generations later you get this certain kind of a psychological um 
they it the general public opinion is we don't care and government and whatever and you go through this all the time so this is kind of the gist of it and i just wondered what you know i thought you might have read it or you had something to say about the fourth turning because it is a thing and it's a i've definitely yeah i've definitely read about the fourth turning and uh i i should read the book i want to read the book but i want to read a million books so anyway right. um i i notice every time i ever bring it up people um tend to be very dismissive and poo-pooing it oh you know this is just way wonkery and uh, they don't know no. what they're talking about but i think no. there's something to to this idea and i don't know if it's rigidly 80 year cycles or whatever but i i see the generational turnings as it were that makes sense to me there's periods of building up and then there's a period of relative happiness and stability and then that dissolves that is the sort of pattern and and yeah revolution in the sense of coming back to the same spot but in a different place it's the winding stair version of history which i do see um i i see some merit to that that understanding however um, we reach the breaking point, the potential breaking point in that cycle when we start talking about fundamental changes to humanity, as I often say. And just to bring the glass half empty part to this conversation, um, we're talking about, you know, the incredible importance of spreading the message of what we're talking about and, and spreading, changing public opinion until you can't change public opinion because that isn't done by actual thoughts or, or words or uh, anything that we understand. It's done by electronic impulses that are being beamed into people's heads. You think that's crazy tinfoil nuttery said, spoken by some sort of conspiracy nut. No, that's the Chilean government. I don't know if you saw this, but the Economic Times just had a post up on what's in your head. Just like in Nolan's Inception, brain tech can hack your mind. Neuro rights can keep you safe. And they're talking about the Chilean government is now proposing this idea that we have to have neurological rights to basically prevent companies from being able to tamper with our brains or our behaviors without us knowing. Um, yeah, well, I'm not going to hold my breath and wait for the Chilean or any other government to do that for me, but that gives you a sense. They are really, they're, they're not relying on just sophisticated propaganda anymore. They are really, truly looking at ways they can control your mind neurologically through nanobots or whatever else is coming. And uh, that, you know, that's the point at which, however much we try to spread the word and change public opinion, it may be useless at that point. So the winding stair, we keep coming back to yeah. this cycle of dissolving and things falling apart. But in the future, at some point, we can't build up again because there's no humanity to build back from if we let it get to that point. You know, I, I was just looking up to see if it was the same authors for Gen X, and it wasn't, but I don't know why I made that that link. But they were definitely generational stuff, you know, is what was going on. And uh, there's a lot of um, mechanisms that I think that go all the way back to secret handshake clubs from Aluma, whatever, from the beginning of how to control the masses. You know, you get in the modern day with Bernays and, you know, the Nazis and, you know, whatever the hell is going on now. And it's, but it, the goal has always been the same. And it's always, they think they get a little bit closer. They're going, oh, 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 oh this time, you know? And it's the, uh, what was the, um, uh, Brzezinski's book, uh, New Age, um, Between Two Ages, you know, technocracy in America, you know, whatever it was. And it was, you, you read all this stuff. And then of, of course, the Bilderberg, crowd all in the Rockefellers they all jump on it and go look here it is in writing well it was just a rehash thing from earlier in the century and but it's the same goal that's what's going on is they are willing to 
sacrifice you, your rights, the, the, the prosperity. What is for them? Whatever it takes to get what they want. You just got to find out what is it they want. Everything. Everything. They, and you're not allowed to bitch, you know. So and and you'll love it. <laughs> yep. I, That's it. There has to be a point at which um, you know it, it's time to start slitting throats. But when's that happen? And does it ever happen? And we, I, I had on a guy, Ridley Scott, he's a videographer. He used to do a lot of uh, videos until YouTube started, you know, shadow banning this one years ago. Did you say Ridley Scott? Well, he, pardon? Ridley Scott. Did you say Ridley Scott? Dave Ridley. Dave, I'm sure. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I, the, I director the director of Alien? What? Yeah, 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 yeah. no, no, no. no. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the, the gladiator. Yeah, yeah. But um, um, Dave Ridley, I'm sorry, it's called Ridley Report. Well, Dave Ridley um, is an activist in the Free State Project in New Hampshire. And he was doing a lot of coverage. Well, he got the arrest and the FBI raid of the Team Crypto 6, you know, the um, Bitcoin charges and all this that recently happened that they're well known here and, you know, it's a big deal. But um, he's doing a Gandhi walk all across New Hampshire. He can do a good Gandhi. He's kind of slender, bald. He's putting on the robe. He's doing the salt march, man. He's going, you got, because the law is, is you can't pass out a piece of paper, a petition, anything. You can't hand a federal agent, you know, papers. Well, he found there's some guy in charge of the federal building in New Hampshire. And he, he, he was the unlucky guy to be head of security and have his email listed so you know, he gets to win right so it's a uh, mr crew or something so he's like no here i come mr crew you know head of security zig Isle. i'm he's touring the state going around collecting petitions and all that and you guys are scum and you were leaving us alone now you're not leaving us alone and now it's on and sovereignty of and new hampshire and everything and he's going boom i'm in violation of the law i handed you a piece of paper arrest me you know so i so awesome I well, would love I mean, to see 10,000 times more people doing that, that type of thing. Yeah, exactly. taking a stupid law and outright making a big deal of it and making the salt march metaphorically or otherwise and doing it and saying, yeah, here I am. Yeah, explain to people the salt march, what that was about. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm not going to know the specifics of the law, but something about uh, people were not allowed to extract, you know, salt for their own purposes under the the... Uh, lo British colonial laws of India. Yeah, you had to pay and them so, taxes uh, on it or something. Yeah. Exactly, right. Yeah, taxes or whatever. So uh, Gandhi made a big thing about doing a march. We're going to march across the country and anyone who wants to come, let's go join and we're all going to go and extract some salt from the sea and, and see what they do about it. And of course, like so many of his other things, it's, yeah, we're all going to openly do this in defiance in full knowledge that, yeah, we might be arrested, but, you know, try arresting several thousand of us or whatever it is. And by that point, obviously, Gandhi was a figure, uh, you know, a, not just a regular. He's going to you know, go nobody, evaporate so. some seawater, make some salt, that criminal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And exactly. And exposing. And that's exactly the point, exposing the stupidest thing that everyone knows. Well, there's nothing... There's nothing horrible about that. You're not some evil criminal for getting salt out of the sea. And so everyone can see, yeah, you come and arrest me in front of full views of all the cameras and everyone who's watching. Come and arrest me for this. Okay, let's do, I got MK Ultra up there real quick. I'm wondering if you, you know, is this, uh, 
we learned that Nathan those learn a lot from that that they're employing now is that's kind of the bottom line. You think we're being, you know, manipulated? Uh, yes. <laughs> Long story short, yeah. Okay, now what about um you know, this silver thing? Are you how big are you on economics? Is that something you pay attention to? Yes and no. Uh <laughs> Yes, but but I keep it in perspective because I know it's all fake and phony and rigged. Um, that doesn't mean it's not important because we all live in a fake and phony and rigged world. So you have to know something about the rigging and what's happening. But yes, long story short, um, what is happening right now truly is unprecedented. Now they're talking about, oh, it's going to be such a wonderful year because we're going to have one of the greatest rebounds in history. And it's going to be one of the largest, you know, year on year GDP growths we've ever seen because everything will spring back to life as the pandemic shutdown ends and all this, which is, of course, in so many ways, if you put two, ra two brain cells to rub together, you understand how ridiculous that is. It's like saying, okay, so we've completely scuttled and tanked and put these chains on the economy for the past year. And now that we're letting it go so that it can maybe crawl back to someplace near where it was before, hopefully if everything goes right, that'll be like some sort of fantastic rebound. And it's, uh, look at all this percentage growth year on year that it's creating where it, it's, uh, Yay, so we're going to be back to where we were in 2019. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. Like, Exactly. It's it's all smoke and mirrors. And again, it, just the way that they report it makes it feel like it's different than that. Anyway, we are living through an incredibly transformative economic event. And I don't think people are still quite as appreciative of that as they should be, because I think one of the real stories of the 2020s <clears throat> is going to be the monetary transformation that they are already starting to put us through. They are already trialing the digital currencies, the central bank digital currencies in many countries. It's coming in the US and elsewhere. Um, and they're just preparing us for that. And so what's What's your solution? What are you going to do about it? Well, I did talk about survival currencies um, previously on the podcast, so I, people can check that out. But I need to do more deep dives on the monetary issue because I, that is going to be an incredibly important part of the transformation, the Great Reset. You know, um, I, I want to get your help on one thing. Um, I am really interested, and I've really been putting the feelers out on this one thing. You know, uh, it's a community thing. It's been the, uh, the buzzword on a lot of people. They're starting to realize that they need to come together as families or small groups or something and uh, and just add their distinctiveness, you know, to the, the group of being able to, you know, be an ad. Because if you're not an ad, get the hell out, man. What are you good for? I'm not dragging your ass along. So you got to have some skills, but you're going to need something from other people that you don't. So this community is going to manifest itself in some way. And it used to be, you know, community, a town, a city, uh, this or that or whatever. But now it's getting to where it's a physical, where am I? I you know, I, who's helping me in the field? I mean, you know, it's, it's going to be a food thing. You know, I can guarantee that. So I'm looking at, you know, what do I have to do? What am I prevented from doing? And what's your conflict resolution? So I'm looking for a community guideline format so you know i remember when we were examining marriage you know as a contract and i wrote an article uh you know early in my activist you know like early 90s or something it was it was uh, my fourth menage trois with uncle sam or something like that 
And there was prima nocte, you know, it's like in Braveheart, you know, you had this, okay, I'm going to take your bride on her wedding night and honor and bless this marriage with my semen, so says, you know, the Lord kind of crap, you know, and I'm going, yeah. So when I started to realize we got married here in Pennsylvania, we go to Arizona, the contract changed and it could change on the fly. They just change it, whatever. I go, whoa, what the heck? You, you tell me my wedding night, I had a prima knock day with Uncle Sam. There was this forced menage trois with the government. You know, when did, how the hell did that happen, you know? So um, it, it, I'm looking for the contract. You know, what, what, what's the deal? I, I, this important community thing. I wanted to be able to get a marriage contract from multiple men's magazines. I mean, you know, the women's magazines, you merge the two, you got 200 choices, you file it as a, you know, contract document with whatever the hell, you know, who gets the dog? I mean, it's just, it's amazing that we take all these other things so seriously, but we don't even know what the hell the contract is. You get married. What the hell? You know, so I'm, no, no, no. So I need to know the contract up front. I want to know, you know, probably where I'm going to live and the community and people around me, you know, maybe the second most important contract that I have next to my marriage, you know, so I'm really looking for that. And I, I would appreciate you come across something or you ask somebody about it, or these other guys doing it. What's your contract? What do I have to do? What am I prevented from doing? What's your conflict resolution? I can get that. Then I got something to work with. But nobody has an answer. They were like, well, uh, wow, really? You haven't thought even that far? So I, you, you start checking on it. You'll see. Yeah. They're not that deep on it. Yeah. Well, speaking of Bill and Melinda Gates. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Did we talk about that? Okay, 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 okay. Listen, I will make this prediction before you go. This is what I think is going on. One, you don't make a divorce of this much money and this kind of without the permission slip or something. I mean, this is this is way this is like a monarchy kind of thing. You know, you're not just going to you know separate this baby. I mean, you know, there's something else going on. I am of the opinion that whatever it is that they're both into, one of them is going to continue, or they're going to double up, or they're going to compete with each other, or whatever the heck. They're still on the path, unless one of them is going to out the other one. That ain't going to happen because one of them will be dead. So you know, I'm going okay. So what's going on? They're going to protect the brand or the you know, the overall mission, I Bill Gates is compromised. I think there's a, a an Epstein thing going on or his ex-girlfriend they're going to do. There's going to be some crap going on and you're going to see the strong woman of I'm, you know, Melinda is going to be the one because I love the babies or something. There's something, it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. So somebody yeah. to get cut off. I don't know who, what, don't really parents they them those which you know comment what do you think is going to happen well let me give the most optimistic take because i gotta go so let's leave on something optimistic so maybe maybe they know that the hammer's about to come down and bill's about to get exposed or they're going to be put in jail or something or whatever so this is their preemptive way of splitting up the assets so they can at least keep some of them off to the side so that bill or whoever or melinda can take the fall if she gets one dollar more that's exactly what's going on at any rate, that that would be hopeful in the sense that, hey, maybe something's actually going to happen and they're actually going to get exposed. And so, But I don't believe that is likely. But, hey, you never know, right? And it's, it's entertainment. And Corbett Report, 
Bitcoin.com, an asset that we make sure that we have available because I use it yeah. all the time. Yeah. You. Well, I hope CorbettReport.com is not entertainment. I hope it's informative and I hope I don't get caught up in the distractions, but uh, I'll do my best. And uh, let's keep doing this. Uh, again, for my audience who doesn't know it, we talk like this every single week. So people should be tuning in to directly to de declare your independence and subscribe to your RSS feed so you get this directly every single week. Thank you. Yeah, RSS. I mean, I help. They still do that? <laughs> I do. That's how I get your podcast. Uh, thank you very much. James Corbett, CorbettReport.com, Ernest Hancock, FreedomsPhoenix.com. You get a lot of good stuff. Peace, James. Take care.